0: Today uh, is uh, the first Sunday of um, what we in the church we call Lent, and Lent is a it's a a season uh, before Easter, before uh, Good Friday, where the church is meant to just remember and reflect, and really uh, prepare ourselves spiritually uh, for what's to come. It typically begins, actually began this past Wednesday, uh, which was called Ash Wednesday. And the tradition from the early church is that on Palm Sunday, which is the Sunday before Easter, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem, and they pulled out the palm trees, and he came in. And that what the early church they would typically do is they would take uh, that palm, uh, and they would fashion it into a cross, and they would hang the cross uh, in their homes for the whole year. And then uh, at, at the end of the year, on Ash Wednesday, they would take that cross down, and they would burn it. Uh, as, as, a, as a kind of like a sacrifice, they would burn it. they would take the ash and and put a, a crucifix over their forehead as a commemoration that the season of Lent has begun. So we started that season by having our house church leaders uh, share devotionals throughout that time uh, this year, which is uh, maybe a little different for us, but churches all over Hong Kong, in fact, all over the world will be actually sharing this message. Um, in pulpits all over the place. And so I, I'm really excited to start, to start this off today. And today, the passage is the parable of the good shepherd. Um, I'm sorry, the parable of the good Samaritan. And so I, I'm glad I got that right. Um, now, during Lent, in, in the Christian calendar, as in, uh, uh, as in life in general, you know, there are seasons where we're called to slow down. We're called to take a pause and reflect. Lent is one of those wonderful seasons where we're called together to take time to slow down and to prepare ourselves for something spiritually significant uh, that's about to happen in our lives. Um, You know, and especially if you think about it, especially being in Hong Kong, it's even more important for us to slow down. Uh, I'm from Southern California And so uh, a lot of Californians were slow and purposely slow. Uh, We're supposed to be cool, chill, all those type, type of things. But it's crazy. Since I've been in Hong Kong, I've always been in a hurry. I turn into a Hong Kong person. You know, when I get into the lift, I don't just press my button once. I do it multiple times. I, with the doors not closing in time, I press the closed door button many, many times. I find myself walking very briskly, I mean very quickly from place to place. I'm actually not in a hurry. There's no reason for me to be in this pace. But for some reason, just this city makes me hurry. It may, it, if I feel like I don't have enough time in that way. And, and, and in light of that, especially in such a busy city... In light of that, how much more important it is for us to slow down in this season, to reflect, to think upon the cross and all that Christ has done for us. And and this is really what this journey is about. Um, We are, during our morning prayers, uh, we have Lent devotionals all through uh, uh, this season, actually led by our house church members. I encourage you to come and join us uh, during that time. Okay, so the text today is Luke chapter 10, 25 to 37. You can look on the screen and here's our passage, Luke 10, 25 and 37, the parable of the good Samaritan. And he says, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him. And he went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him. and And when he saw him, he felt compassion and came to him. Bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said to him, go and do the same. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. uh, Lord, for this season, you remind us to slow down. You remind us to pause. You remind us to reflect, God, on what you have done for us. And so would you help us, God? Would you speak to us, Lord? God, to that end, we ask you right now to release the revelatory ministry of the Holy Spirit in this room. Lord, give us an ear to hear and a heart to receive what the Spirit is saying to each one of us, individually and corporately body. Lord, I humble myself today. I ask that you use me to preach a prophetic word with power and authority. Help me, Lord, not just convey your words, God, but convey your heart. God, we thank you. We love you in this house, God. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. So I'm going to do a little bit of teaching, a little bit of background of what's going on. But let me, let me ask you this question first, okay? Let, let, me, let me posit this to you. There are basically four characters in this parable. There, there, there's four distinct people. Uh, as we start, and I'll, I'll, I'll start here and then I'll, I'll come back to this. But who do you see yourself in in this parable? Who, who who resonates the most with you? Who, who reminds you of you uh, in this, in this uh, parable? Is it the good guy in this parable who's the Samaritan? Is it the supposed to be good guy who's the priest? Or the other supposed to be good guy who's the Levite? Or do you kind of resonate with the victim, the random, almost dead guy, right? Which guy or which person are you? Are you the, the, uh, the ever-present, very helpful, self-sacrificing? Do you say, you know what? I'm like the Samaritan. Any hands here? I didn't think so. Oh, one. Wow. That's awesome, right? How many of you guys, I imagine most of us, we probably kind of be the supposed good guy, the priest. You know, kind of busy doing life. Can't be bothered to stop and help anyone. Sound like anyone here? Okay, a bunch of liars in this room as well, okay? <laughs> how about the other supposed good guy? You, you, you come from a class of people that should be helping people, but you don't. Or how many of you guys resonate with the victim? Any victims in here? Right? You're not supposed to be a victim. But we resonate in that way. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to that. So just kind of keep that in your mind for a moment. And so let's talk about uh, this situation. And so uh, a lawyer uh, comes to Jesus, and the Bible says to test him. So he doesn't actually have a genuine question in mind, but he wants to trap Jesus. And so he wants to humiliate Jesus. He wants to make Jesus look bad. So he comes to test him. Now, the lawyer here is not like a lawyer that we think about now. Like this lawyer, if you wanted to sue someone, you would not go to this guy. If you wanted to be defended in court, this is not the guy you would see. The lawyer in the New Testament actually meant someone who was an expert in the Mosaic law. In other words, he was a religious person. This, this was a, a teacher. Sometimes they use this term scribe, which was a, a specific class of people. These were the very, very educated, very, very well-respected group of people. They were the lawyers, the, the, the masters or the experts at Mosaic Law. So this lawyer stands up and puts him to the test, and he asks a question that he already knows the answer to. So he's asking a question that already knows the answer, and so he asks the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, The question is horribly, horribly flawed. You know why? Because there's nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. And so you can see how he's he's trying to go about to trap him in a way. And so Jesus responds like a good rabbi. You know what what good rabbis do? They respond to a question with a question. Right? They never answer anything. They just respond with a question. And so the question comes to, comes to him, and he says, and he offers the question right back. And he just simply says, well, what's written in the law? How does that read to you? And so the guy just answers so quickly. He quotes the, the, the from Deuteronomy, the Shema. Right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. and You shall love your neighbor. So he, just, he just quotes it so easily and so Jesus responds and he says, Man, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, he should have just stopped there. <laughs> that, would, that would have been a really good place to end. But it, the Bible tells us he wished to justify himself. He knows that Jesus just embarrassed him in this moment. And so he takes it another level. He wants to justify himself and he asks another question. And I guarantee he wishes he didn't ask this. He asked the question, then who is my neighbor? Who then is my neighbor? So uh, that leads him into this parable. So let, let's let's break this down a little bit. The parable, he says that there was a man. We don't know what nationality this man is. Um, we, we don't know if he's a Samaritan or if he's a Jewish person But most likely, if he's coming down from Jerusalem and going to Jericho, he's probably a Jewish person. And so uh, this this picture, going down, this this would have been one of the most common roads uh, during this time. Uh, uh, Jerusalem, which is up on a hill, and Jericho, that's in the valley, it's, it's down on the way. If you've ever been there, it's on the way to the Dead Sea. And so... Uh, Jericho is, is one of the most, is one of the most ancient, oldest cities around Everyone, Everything around there is absolutely barren if you 've ever heard of the Judean desert you know, uh, John went to the desert, Jesus went to the desert. He's talking about this desert, this Judean desert, in which the, the prime city is Jericho. And the only reason Jericho thrives is because they found a natural spring uh, uh, in, uh, within the city, and so life happens here. This, this road, it would have been notorious, absolutely notorious for thieves. Because it's only one road, it's it's kind of dark. It's it's I mean it's totally out in the open. Uh, there, there's some little places here and there, but a lot of people would be robbed on this road. This road was a main road for the military. It was a main road for for. Uh, um, Uh, Those working in business, you know, trades. And there's also the main road for people sojourning uh, from down in the valley, the Judean desert, all the way up to Jerusalem, which they would have to do a few times a year uh, during the feast. Now, it's interesting, the priest goes down to Jerusalem, which, which basically means that he, he's already fulfilled his religious duty. And so he's on his way back home. And Jericho, by the way, was known as the city of priests because so many priests live in this area. You can imagine the rents are quite expensive in Jerusalem. And so this was kind of a suburb. And if you want to get an idea of the geography, it was roughly, you could actually Google map this. If you Google map this, it's a little bit over a seven-hour walk that, that goes from Jerusalem down, right, downhill to Jericho. And so this is a situation uh, that they're in, uh, in this place. And so, uh, like I said, the road was, was a major thoroughfare, but, but given the isolated terrain that was here... Um, the people that were walking this road became very easy targets uh, for bandits. Um, the bandits would have uh, found ample uh, places to hide and ample escape routes that led straight into the desert. And no one would dare follow them into the desert. I mean, this seven-hour walk is hot, right? I mean, you're, you're in, the, in the desert sun, and, and any of us, uh, like I said, you know, we, we, do a, we try to do a trip every few years. We're hoping to do a trip again uh, uh, after the summer uh, back to Israel. Um, and so you can get an idea of this place. But the people, you know, that were robbed on this road, uh, they, they, it would have been very, very difficult for them. Um, it would have been, they would have been in a very, very vulnerable uh, position. Uh, there would have been no food, no water. Uh, no um, uh, uh, place to to find any refuge. They'll be totally exposed, totally isolated uh, during this time. And so this man is really desperate for help, absolutely desperate for help. And um, the reality is that anyone on this road that came and saw this man, uh, they, they would have to deliberately evade him. Uh, there's historians that said that this ancient road, some parts of the road were so narrow that and, uh, you know, most scholars believe this is the type of situation that when when the writer says that they walk to the other side, most likely meaning that he walked right over the body. That's how grievous what the Levite and the and the priest uh, do to uh, this person. So let's let's break this down a little bit more. So the priest, again, is going down, which means that he fulfilled his uh, ritual duties in the temple. And really, he should have less regard for contracting any uncleanness by touching a potentially dead body. Instead, when he sees this man in need, he moves to the other side here, walks over his body, and he passes by. A Levite, similarly A Levite, these were the descendants of Levi. They were priests of the descendants of Aaron. And he too moves over and evades this man who's there. This is is, uh, the primary principle of this parable. This is really not about the Good Samaritan. This parable is really about God. This parable is really about the heart of God. And in fact, if you read most parables... The central theme, it really deals with the heart of God. And so what this, what this parable is kind of teaching us in this way, and I'll explain it this way. Those who should have helped don't. Turn to your neighbor. right? Go ahead and say, hey, good looking. Say, those who should have helped don't. Go ahead. Then you have the Samaritan. So the priest, you would think a priest should have helped this man. A Levite, right? A family of priests should have helped this man. But they don't. Those who should have helped don't. But those who shouldn't have helped, they do. And now you're introduced to a Samaritan. Let me explain who a Samaritan is. A Samaritan is from Samaria. But... Not all people from Samaria are Samaritans, okay? It's, it's, it's very different. Samaritans are a group of people that came out of the, uh, the invasion of Assyria uh, in 721 B.C. This was uh, uh, the northern kingdom. They, they had disobeyed God, and so they were, they were swept into Assyrian captivity. A lot of these, the Jews left uh, the land and went uh, and as, as uh, slaves, but some of them actually remained, a very small uh, a part, portion of them. These ones that remained became known as the Samaritans. These ones, what they end up doing is they end up intermarrying uh, with uh, the Assyrians that were there. They kind of turned away from classic Judaism, and they developed their own kind of religion. And so th- this, was, this was part of their religion. Uh, they believed in the Torah. In fact, they felt that they were the true keepers of the Mosaic law. Their mediator to them and them alone was Moses. And so they always appealed to Moses. Uh, they believed that the place of worship was actually Mount Gerizim and not Jerusalem. Do you remember in the book of John when Jesus confronts the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman? And remember, she asked the question, where should we worship? On this mountain, she was referring to Mount Gerizim or in Jerusalem. The Samaritans felt that, that the, um, the Israelites at that time, their religion was illegitimate. They believed that their temple in Jerusalem was illegitimate. And then their priesthood was illegitimate. They believed that they were the true keepers of the law of Moses. They, in fact, they had their own copy of the Torah, a, a, kind of a special version of that. And so you can see the animosity. Now, uh, okay, so what? So they're this group of people, they're, they're basically half, right? Half Jews, half uh, Assyrians. W- why the animosity? Well, when the northern kingdom, when they came back from captivity and they came back to Israel to rebuild, this is primarily during the time of Ezra, when they came to rebuild Jerusalem and the walls again, the, the Samaritans offered help but were rejected by the Israelites they said, "No, you are unclean. We'll have nothing to do with you altogether." And that started just years and years of intense animosity and hostility towards one another that actually still remains to this day. And so there are actually still a remnant of Samaritans that still worship at Mount Gerizim you know, and do all these things. And so that's who they were. They were a despised group. They, they, were, they were like worse. You know what I mean? Worse than Gentiles because they were, in their mind, half-breeds. And so they were neither this, neither that. And they worshipped this false religion in the minds of the Israelites. So he was a hated person. Remember, those that should have, don't. But those that shouldn't have, they do. That's what this Samaritan represents. What, What am I talking about? There's there's one word, and, and I, I want to keep teaching on this because it's so important for us. There's one word that really encapsulates God's covenant love for His people. In Hebrew, uh, it's, it's translated as mercy. Sometimes it's translated as grace. Sometimes translated as love. Probably the the, the closest translation that we could see is the word loving kindness. Uh, as I mentioned before. When the Bible was being translated into English, the the New King James translation, they didn't quite have any words to describe this one particular word of God's covenant love uh, for his people. And so they made a word up. It's the word loving kindness. Actually, that word didn't exist in the English language until they put it in the King James Bible. And in Hebrew, the word is the hesed. Okay, I'm, I'm going I'm to use kind of the anglicized version. I'm going to say hesed, uh, but the way it's actually properly said is hesed. Uh, I don't really say that because it keeps hurting my throat, okay? So I'm sure you guys have some, uh, uh, you know, appeal for my throat. So I'm, I'm just going to use more the, the easier way of saying it, which is the hesed. But the hesed is, is simply God's covenant love over his people, it represents his mercy, represents his grace, represents his, 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 his uh, um, long-suffering over the people of God. If, if the working definition, if you think about this, if the working definition is simply from someone whom you should rec- to, that you should expect to receive nothing, gives you everything. That's what the Samaritan represents. In essence, he represents the heart of God more than anything else, right? The point of this is the person who shouldn't have does. He's the one who did it. The Samaritan sees the man, has compassion on him, right? And like I said, if our working definition is when a person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything, then the Samaritan clearly exhibits hesed. His care for the wounded man is above and beyond. He bandages him. He pours oil upon him. He gives him wine. He transports him to an inn. He takes care of him there. He leaves money for further care. And he says that he's going to come back to check up on him. That's what he is. And then, in this parable, then Jesus, at the finish of this, he questions the scribe. He He gives him a question the scribe knew that was coming. And he asks, who proved to be a neighbor? Out of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, who proved to be a neighbor? Notice the lawyer can't even bear to say the word Samaritan. That's how much animosity he has towards his people. And so what he says, he says, the one who showed mercy the one who showed has said and jesus turns and says go and do likewise what was he telling the lawyer let me just frame this for you the law the mosaic law was supposed to protect people the mosaic law was supposed to care for people you are a scribe you're a lawyer Your job is to use the law to protect and care for people. But your religion, the way that you are interpreting the law, only brings danger to people. That's, I mean, that's Jesus' theological message, but it goes a little deeper than that. So, let's go back to the question that I asked. Who do you see yourself in this parable? Who do you see yourself as? In the parable, the good guy, the Samaritan, the supposed to be good guy, the priest, the other supposed to be good guy, the Levite, or the victim, the random, almost dead guy? Before I answer this question, what I, what I think, let me say it this way. In a way, if you think about it, we are all of these people in this parable at some time. Sometimes we're pretty good. Sometimes, not not too many times, sometimes we actually do good things for other people. Sometimes we care for the poor. Sometimes we're very, very nice to the stranger. Sometimes we're like the Samaritan, but many oftentimes we're like this priest. We're just too concerned about our own comforts. We're too concerned about our own agenda our own priorities, that honestly, we just can't be bothered to stop and help anybody. That's just just simply the way it works sometimes. We're just too busy living a busy life in Hong Kong to stop, especially to stop and help someone who can never pay us back. And so in many ways, we're like the priest. In other ways, we're like the Levite as well. You know, sometimes we fear because, you know, Levite, they have a position here. Sometimes they fear that, man, if I help this person or if we involve ourselves in the affairs or messes of others, it may jeopardize our standing or our status in life. And when we operate that way, we are like the Levite. Sometimes when we think that by stopping and helping, and, you know, this is like legitimate concerns, right? Well, if I stop on the road and help this man, I might get mugged too. I might also get beaten and robbed. And, And we find ourselves feeling vulnerable to these attacks and these things, or even potential theft or even loss of life. And then when we think like that, we're also the Levite and the priest. But today, I want to propose something to you. Um, this is this is I mean, this is not the the best answer or anything like. But this is my answer. I want to suggest to you that today in this story, you and I, we are actually the victim. Right? Turn to your neighbor, say, "Hey, good looking." Say, "I'm the victim." Right? Now, listen. It's very, very difficult for me to say those words, because we don't want to be a victim. You know what I mean? And then, especially in this world, there's too many victims. Everyone's a victim of something. You know, my mom didn't breast me, breastfeed me enough. I'm a victim, right? That's why I can't hold a job. You know, like, like I got, I was just like, there's so many victims, and we we don't want to be that. But I would say in this case, we are victims. Uh, Who's the culprit? We are victims of sin. Sin. Let me say it this way. Sin has beaten us down. Sin has stripped us of our dignity. Sin has robbed us of what God intended. And sin has left us for dead. John ten ten, the first part. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We are victims of the enemy's plots. We are victims of sin, and 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 and, and we we are we are the the contributors of this sin. And so we well, have got to be very clear about that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Right? All have sin. And falls short of the glory of God. And so we're all in this place. We're all the victims in this story. But let me take it the other way. Jesus, he is, and this is not, I know it's the Good Samaritan. I want to say he is the Great Samaritan. This story is really about Jesus. Jesus. So, let me break it down for us. I just have a few points, okay? Ready? Number one. Number one, he came to save us. He came to save us, right? He didn't need to come, right? It was his love for us that compelled his journey to come from heaven and become God incarnate. To dwell among us so that we can be reconciled to God, Just like the Samaritan. Notice the Samaritan. Remember, the priest and the Levite were going home. They had finished work. (coughs) They were were on the way. The, The Samaritan was actually on a journey. He was going somewhere. He was busy, and yet he stopped. Jesus didn't have to, but he came for us. He came to save us. Let me give you the text. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came down to earth. Why? He came to save us. He, He said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Number two, just like the good Samaritan, Jesus, the great Samaritan, what did he do? He came to heal us. He came to heal us. He took all of our hurts, all of our pains, all of our brokenness. Jesus is the great physician. He's the great healer who restores us right to that state which the Father intended for us. Let me give you the text. Matthew chapter 8 verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet He himself took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Jesus heals us. Just like the Samaritan healed the man, Jesus heals each one of us. Number three, he came to take us to sanctuary and wholeness. He came to take us to sanctuary and wholeness. He didn't just administer some first aid. And then leaves us in this mess. Can you imagine that? Put a few bandages on the guy. Right? Put a little bit of uh, oil. A little bit of wine. To, to you know, uh, 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 soothe him a bit. And then he just leaves. No. What does he do? He takes him to a place where he can be healed. Even more so. Jesus carries each of us to a place. Where we can experience sanctuary. And restoration. Now. The place that, is, that Jesus intends is called the church. The church is simply this family of God, people who have also been saved, who has also been rescued, also been touched by God, transformed from death into life. And there's a community of people, like-minded people, that can help one another to be healed and to grow. We are the community of the followers of Jesus Christ who've experienced this transformation. We've received wholeness. We're on the way of receiving this wholeness and restoration by the grace of God. And we get to co-labor with the Holy Spirit to continue this journey to help others. He takes us to a place where we can become whole. Just like the Good Samaritan takes him to an inn where he can continue to be restored. Jesus takes us and he puts us in the church so that we can continually be transformed. Let me give you the text. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, your whole life, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. Without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. In other words, he says he's going to mature you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 5 says, I'm confident this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it into the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, Jesus started... This journey of wholeness, this journey of completeness and healing, he'll be faithful to complete it. Every part of us, our body, our soul, and our, our, our mind hes going to come in and receive us in this way, our spirit, soul, and body. Number four, number four, just like the good Samaritan, he was despised and rejected and still he came. The Samaritan was a cultural outcast, loathed, despised by the Israelites. Jesus came into this world. He was loved by some, but mostly despised, mostly loathed. The people killed this this Christ. Let me give you the text. Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and forsaken of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. That's what Christ, that's who he was in the world around him. But in spite of being hated, in spite of this reality, he still obeyed the Father's will. And he said, Lord, not my will, but let your will be done. He was despised and rejected, and still he came. Number five, he paid for our wholeness on the cross. Right? The, cro- the cost of our healing, the cost of our restoration was paid by Jesus on the cross. It wasn't two denarii, right? It wasn't two days wages, right? The penalty, the cost that he paid was his own life a debt that could never be repaid. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging or by his stripes, we are healed. He did it all on the cross. The last one, number six Number six, just like the good Samaritan, he came to serve us. Think about this. This Christ, this, this Jesus, he should have been revered as a king. He should have actually been the one that that receives service. But he comes to us as a lowly servant. In this parable, the Samaritan Right, he never he didn't intend to stop. He was on a journey. He, he he didn't need to help this man, but he did. And thus in so doing, he became a servant, and he served this man in a very life saving way. By doing so, Jesus demonstrated that the greatest is made great because of their capacity to serve, especially the most needy. Matthew twenty three eleven says that, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. Jesus says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. Let's close our eyes. We invite the worship team to come. Sin has done a number on us. Sin has damaged us so completely. We are that person on the road. I want to encourage you this week in your quiet time, maybe tomorrow morning when you wake up, reread this parable. Imagine yourself lying on that road, lost, alone, beaten, near death. Brothers and sisters, that's what sin has done to us. Our sins, that's what they've done to us. And imagine the Samaritan, really, Jesus coming, ministering to us, loving us, saving us, healing us. What would you say to that person who comes to rescue us? How would you show your gratitude to that person? How you answer that question is how you ought to live your life from this day forward. And as the worship team just leads us in a song, remember this season is about reflection. It's about pausing, slowing down to think about the cross. think about what Christ has done for us. And as Pastor Nate and the team lead us in a song, I want to encourage you to slow down, slow your heart down, slow your mind down and look at the great Samaritan, Jesus the Christ and what he's done for us and what we're preparing for in these next seven weeks. So let's just give God an anthem of our hearts.
1: Let's sing from the top. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb in desperate. The silence, the roaring lion, declare the grave has no claim on me that came, then came the morning that sealed the promise. On me you have broken
0: picture of God's grace. The lawyer asks, what can I do to inherit eternal life? A flawed question. Because you can't do anything. It is given to us as a gift. The gospel is such a contrast to the world around us. In the world around us, we have to earn everything. By all means necessary. And God offers us this tremendous gift, free to us, cost his son everything. Let's pray. Lord, this parable is about what we do. Lord, our actions, our inactions. This parable is about our sin. It's the deeds that we've done. But, Lord, this parable is also about, Lord, superimposed on what we've done. Jesus is what you've done. Lord, you came and you saved us. You rescued us. You healed us, God. Lord, it's about the cross. Not my sins, Lord, but what you've done to overcome our sins. And as we enter into the season of Lent, We come to reflect and to simply say, thank you, Lord. And so we thank you, God. We want to say thank you with our lives, Lord. We love you, God. We bless you. And now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, from this day forever. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. This week, as we continue Lent, our house church leaders are leading Lenten devotionals. Every morning at 7, I encourage you to come. Please pray for us. Myself, Wesley, and Gabby, we're flying to Abu Dhabi tonight. I'm speaking at a conference. These guys are leading worship. Please cover us in our prayers. I'll be back uh, Saturday morning. And so we'll see you Sunday. If you need any prayers, come up to the front. And we'll gladly pray for you. For the rest of you guys, have a wonderful rest of your day. Have an awesome week. God bless you guys.